You know, many of us, I would bet all of us, could think back in our lives to a time where we've been asked a question. And it was not just any question. We get asked questions every day, especially if you have little kids, right? You get asked thousands of questions an hour, right? We get lots of questions, but there are some, a few, that are life-changing, that are destination-changing, right? They, they, they change our eternal destiny, or they change the way that we live our life here. Maybe you remember a time uh, where somebody proposed to you, and you said yes, and that would lead uh, to you getting married and all the great things from that. Maybe you can remember a time where you were offered a job at a company, and it was a game-changer for you and your family, and you said yes, and there were scary things about it, but, but you just believe this is what the Lord was calling you to. Or maybe when you said yes to a friendship, and that friendship uh, would, would continue to impact your life uh, for years and decades to come. We can all think of times like that, I bet. Well, today I want to share with you a story about one of those kind of moments where a question was asked that was, a des- was a, really a destiny-changing question, but even a world-changing question. Okay, this question was a big, big deal. It was asked by Jesus of this guy, Peter, who we're talking about in this message series, and it would change his life. Now, we'll look at Matthew's account of this story. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Matthew shares with us that right before this, Jesus has been in the midst of a a conflict with the religious leaders. You remember this happened from time to time, and they had come to him. And they, with a, a challenge, and they said, Jesus, why, if you're really the Son of God, you know, you say these things, but if you really are who you say you are, then give us a sign. Give us, show us some miracle. Do something for us. Now, this seems odd, right? Because Jesus went around and he did miracles all the time. I mean, he was known for this, a lot of healing, but they wanted to personally experience one here, right? And, and, you know, if I were Jesus, which I'm not, but if I were Jesus, I think this would have been an awesome opportunity just to have some fun with them, right? I would have totally done a miracle, but I think I would have turned one of those religious leaders into like, you know, the Aflac talking duck or something like that, right? Like, why don't you tell him that he's the Christ, right? That I'm the Christ, right? Why, why, why don't you let the duck tell you, right? But Jesus, he did not ask my opinion, nor did he agree with my conclusion. Matthew 16, 4, he said this, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. We asked for a simple sign, a miracle, right? Like, and now you're going to call him evil and adulterous. Was that really necessary are, are you just in a bad mood today? What's going on, Jesus? You know, is this evil, adulterous? That's kind of hardcore, right? And then the sign of Jonah, what is that even supposed to mean? You're going to get, like, swallowed by a giant fish? Or are you going to Nineveh? What, what, what is this sign of Jonah? Well, we get the benefit of hindsight. We, we know today what the sign of Jonah is, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man would be in the grave for three days and then rise from the dead, right? Jesus is basically saying, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll show you how you'll know that I'm God. It's when I rise from the dead, okay? You'll believe it then, I promise. You'll know then that I'm God because I was dead and now I'm alive, But they, of course, didn't get this. 
So why does Jesus do this stuff? Why doesn't he just answer their questions more directly, right? Why, doesn't he, why does he have to speak this way? Well, you need to understand that Jesus is, he's always kind of managing the religious leaders because Jesus knows his purpose. He's God, right? And he knows why he's here. He's ultimately here to give his life for you and for me. And he knows that this is going to happen because he's going, the religious leaders are going to hand him over uh, to Pontius Pilate and he'll be crucified. He knows these things. But Jesus is managing his time here. There's times at which the religious leaders get angry. In fact, one time they get so angry with him, they try to throw him off a cliff, and he just miraculously pushes his way through the crowd and walks away. So Jesus is not going to let this happen before it's time. So Jesus is routinely managing this relationship uh, so that he doesn't get himself in deeper trouble with them uh, before his time. So that's kind of what he's doing here. Well, so next, Jesus and the disciples, they leave. They go for a road trip to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles away from Jerusalem, and they were walking, of course, uh, and they were, uh, so it's over by the sea, and he takes this trip uh, with them, and why does he do it? He takes this trip to Caesarea Philippi uh, because it was a place where there were no Jews. Like, this is a, a pagan place so the crowds aren't going to know him, aren't going to flock to him like they usually do. Jesus wants some time with his disciples because he's got a question to ask them, a very, very important question. So he's taking them on kind of a, a retreat. So we see here in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is. Now, the Son of Man was one of Jesus' very favorite terms for himself. And there's a couple, a couple significant things about it. First, uh, it's affirming the very obvious that he is son of a human, right? He was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is 100% human, 100% divine, okay? So he's stating that obvious thing. But it's more than just that. Because in the Old Testament, you have, uh, in the book of Daniel, you have some messianic prophecies where Daniel has seen this vision of someone who is uh, the Messiah, who he defines, uh, describes as the Son of Man. So this is a loaded term as well. This is Jesus saying, hey, you know that the one that was prophesied about? That's me, Son of Man, right here, okay? So this is a, it's a pretty loaded term. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the scuttlebutt, guys? What, what's, the, what's the gossip out there? What, what are you guys hearing about who I actually am? Verse 14, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say, some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, doesn't this seem odd? I mean, these guys all have one thing in common. They're dead. Jesus is not dead. <laughs> So why, why would we say that, right? Well, the Jews, uh, many of them believed that before the Messiah would come, that one of the prophets would come back. One of the famous prophets of old would come back to, to usher him in. And so they see Jesus. They hear his teaching. It's compelling. It's powerful. There's something about this guy. And then they see the miracles. That's certainly not normal. So who is this Jesus? Well, maybe he's the setup guy because 
the expectation of the Messiah is that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be strong and he's going to cast off the Romans, right? He's going he's to bring us back to the glory days of Israel. And when we look at Jesus, he doesn't exactly fit the, you know, the mold of what we're looking for there. So there's something about him, but, I, you know, Messiah probably not. He's probably the setup guy, right? That's what they're saying. Jesus knows that these are not the right answers, and he's taking the disciples on this trip for this very exact moment when he wants to ask the most important question that any of them will ever consider. Verse 15, then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? We talked previously about how the original language has these emphatic constructions, and this is one of them. It literally says, who do you yourself say that I am? So it's like Jesus sitting down with them and like putting a hand on the shoulder, looking them straight in the eye and saying, yeah, that's what they say, but who do you say? Who am I to you? I understand that's what they think, but what do you think about this? Well, guess who's going to answer the question? Our favorite disciple, right? The one who's never short on words, who's never short to open his mouth, sometimes good, sometimes not ideal, right? And Peter does just that. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He literally says, you are the Christ. Christ means anointed one or Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of of the living God. Peter gets it. He understands. He understands that this may be what people think, but I know who you are. I've spent time with you. I've heard you. I've experienced you. And I know that you are not the setup guy. No, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is not just one of the players in this great kingdom of God here coming to earth. No, he is the one. He's the one who it's all about. This is the main attraction right here. It is you, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's amazing. The disciples had uh, said this word, these words, Son of the living God. Remember when they were on the sea, right? And, and after Jesus calmed the storm, they said, Surely this man is the Son of God. It's the Son of God. In that moment, they knew it emotionally because they thought their lives were over on that sea. They thought it was game over for all of them, and Jesus Christ comes and saves them. And they say in great emotions, you surely are the Son of God. If you can just tell the wind and the waves to stop, and they do, yeah, we know who you are. And now in a different moment, away from the storm, away from the crowd, away from all the hype and all the stuff, very intellectually, Jesus asked them this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, he's thought it through, and he knows, deep in his knower, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at how Peter or Jesus responds to Peter's confession. Verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. See the name difference there? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We talked earlier in the series about how Jesus calls a man named Simon, and he changes his name to Peter. And he, so he says here, Simon had been the one who listens, right? But Peter, Petros, means rock. You are the rock. You are the rock on whom I'm going to build my church. Dang. That's big. <laughs> That's a big, strong statement. If that didn't make Peter kind of shudder a little bit, he probably wasn't listening. I mean, this is like the ultimate promotion, right? You are the rock on whom I'll build the church. Now, the interesting thing is, as we study the life of Peter, we see there's times where he does like this, he's, he feels like the rock, right? There's other times he does not feel like the rock. In fact, give him about 10 minutes, he's going to go back to not feeling like the rock again, <laughs> literally. Jesus is not identifying for him for who he is. This is a prophetic statement about who Peter is going to be. And remember what we said in week one, God does not call the prepared, God prepares the called. That God knows when he calls you, when he calls me, when he calls Peter, he knows our imperfections, he knows our sins, he knows our screw-ups, he knows our story, all of this stuff, and he still calls us, he still chooses us, and he says, you, you're the one who I'm going to do this through or that through, I'm going to use you in this way. We're like, I don't know if you know me very well, God, because I don't meet all the qualifications. And he's like, yes, I do know you, just like I knew Peter. And I'm speaking about who I'm calling you to be, who you can be by the power of my Holy Spirit. You're not going to do this on your own strength. You're not going to do this on your own power. This is me. This is me saying who you are in Jesus Christ. It's powerful stuff. Jesus sees us for who we can be. Jesus sees us for what he wants to do in us. He continues with Peter, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Now, there's a number of ways that different, different scholars interpret these verses. We can spend all morning. We won't do that. I'll just keep it real simple. Peter is set apart here as the leader of the early church. He is the main person who's going to, through, God's going to use him to unlock the door of the kingdom of heaven for so many people. For on the day of Pentecost, when they're filled with the power of the Spirit, it's going to be Peter who goes out and he preaches, and 3,000 are going to be saved. And it's very soon going to be Peter and John who are brought before the same people who had Jesus killed. And they're going to very powerfully testify to the truth of who Jesus is. Peter is the guy who God is going to give a vision to someday when they're debating about whether or not you can have Gentiles come into this faith without following the Jewish law, because how's that going to work? And Peter is the one who God's going to show, and he's going to say, Peter, if I call it clean, don't you dare call it unclean. I died for everybody. I died for everybody. This is Peter. This is the rock. This is the one on whom Jesus is going to build the church. It's, it's kind of like, in other words, Jesus is kind of saying, Peter, you're going to be my successor here. 
Now, not that Peter is God, of course. It's not that at all. But, but when Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter is going to be the most visible leader of the church for some time. Verse 20. Then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Once again, Jesus confuses us, right? Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. Isn't it just, just a few chapters, right? Wasn't it, I think, Matthew 28, right, where you're going to say something about go into all the world, right? It's chapter 16, and you're telling us, don't tell anybody, guys. Keep it a secret. Again, Jesus is managing the religious leaders at this time. It's not his time to be crucified yet. And this Messiah talk, <laughs> this is politically dangerous talk. For we are occupied by the Romans, and talk of a Messiah does not go over well with them. And Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders aren't exactly aligned on these things, right? So don't go around telling everybody, this was our time, this was our retreat time. We'll broaden the message out someday. That's what Jesus is saying here. Excuse me. Jesus says this all to Peter. And he's put Peter as his newly appointed second in command. Then Jesus continues, and he is going to now, things are going to shift. And they're going to shift from the focus that Jesus had thus far to a focus on really his upcoming crucifixion. In the next verses, he's going to directly predict this. He's going to say, here's what's going to happen. In time, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man is going to be arrested, and he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be crucified. He'll die. He'll rise from the dead on the third day. They don't understand all of this. This seems completely nonsensical to them. <laughs> if you were the Christ, your best plan would not be to die, okay? That's, that doesn't make any sense. And so they hear this, and, and Peter pulls Jesus aside, right? He's like, hey, Jesus... Peter here, you know, your newly appointed, I'm not ready for that yet, uh, your newly appointed second in command, uh, you, you know, we've been talking about these things, and I've noticed that you're not really getting it, okay? You're talking about crucifixion. <laughs> I've done some market research, and that does not go over well, okay? We... No, no, crucifixion talk, we don't, we don't need that. Um, could we just focus on some other things, okay, right? Like, like, I don't know, not dying, right? Would that, could that be possible? All right, thanks. Good talk, Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Doesn't go well. Peter, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. Wow. So, we went from keys to the kingdom of heaven to Satan in about 10 minutes. Is Jesus having mood swings today? What? What is going on with him, right? Well, no. Jesus knows his purpose, and nothing, no one is going to stop him from this purpose. Jesus is here for this exact reason. The disciples don't get it yet. They will someday, but they don't get it yet. 
This is who Jesus is. Friends, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who he is. And when we talk about Jesus, that's what we're talking about. And you see, today, Jesus is still very popular, right? If you ask average person on the street, Jesus, thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Most people are going to be thumbs up. I'm with Jesus, right? He's good, right? I, I love Jesus. He sounds like a great guy, right? He taught some many, many great things, being kind to others, doing others you'd have to That's just brilliant stuff, right? He's caring and he's loving and he's all these great things. I am, I am for Jesus, okay? Do you believe he's God? And do you believe what he said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Ooh. Now it's getting tougher. I, you know, with everybody, you got to take some things and you got to leave some things, right? I mean, come on. You know, like, I'm all for, like, the, you know, doing other stuff. That's all good. But, but Christ, Son of the living God, God, way to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe Jesus was pushing the envelope a little too far here, right? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he didn't say that. I'm not sure, right? The Bible doesn't really give us that option. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the thing is that that puts us to the place of a very important decision for us. Are we going to believe Jesus for who he actually is, or are we going to try to make some different version of him that we can be okay with? Because this God thing is problematic, right? If he's God, then we have to obey what he says. He's not just one of a bunch of good teachers out there. If he's actually God, then he is to be worshipped. He is who he says who he is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, this is its decision, right? This is what Jesus is, is kind of pushing us towards in all of this. And, and, and for us to say, I don't know if that's actually true, but I know he's a good teacher. Okay, well, let's play with that for just a minute. Let's say that next week, I stand up here and I give a sermon. And it is not my average sermon, okay? It is a great sermon, right? It is the best sermon I have ever preached. And you're sitting there and you're like, this may, just may be the best sermon I've ever heard. I hear a lot of laughter and I don't understand why we need to laugh about these things. Regardless. This is the best sermon I have ever heard, right? And I'm, I'm getting, I'm wrapping it up, right? And I'm getting to the conclusion. And I've like, I've got just one more point to make. And I've been wanting to make this point for like about the past two and a half years here. But it wasn't quite time. But today it's time. My third point, simple, three words. I am God. ruh -roh. <laughs> This is no longer the greatest sermon we've ever heard. <laughs> Things just got really awkward in here, right? What happens then? Well, I'll tell you what happens. We have a group, they're called the council. They are my boss, right? They were not planning to meet next week, but they would meet next week. <laughs> it would be a brief meeting. They would decide two things. One, this was actually not the best sermon that we ever heard. And number two, we're getting a new pastor now. Because we know some things about John, and he 
is not God. Not God. Clearly, not God. We've gotten to see him around. We've gotten to do life with him. He may have some strengths. God, no. He is not, even remotely, God. You see, you can't be a great teacher and claim to be God unless, well, you are God. It's just that simple, right? You cannot be a great teacher. So Jesus really, in his teachings, he puts us in a bind here, okay? He claims to be God. He receives the praise of God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. He does this on a regular basis. What do we do with this? Well, C.S. Lewis famously argued this, and he said, basically, you don't have the option to believe that he's a good teacher. It's just not possible. You've really got, when it comes to Jesus, we have three options, okay? Three options. Option number one, Jesus is a liar, okay? If I said, I'm God, I am a liar, obviously, not God, okay? So I said that, that was a lie, there you have it. So is, that's option number one, Jesus is a liar. Now, he was obviously a good liar. He fooled 12 disciples into leaving everything and following him. In fact, most of them would even die violently for him. So he he cooked up a pretty good story, maybe the best liar of all time. In fact, we actually rearranged our calendar for this liar, right? Like, so he he was good at it. Don't get me wrong. But if he's a liar, a really, really good liar, could we say that he's a great moral teacher? Of course not. The foundation is a lie. By definition, you are not a good moral teacher if the foundation of your teaching is a lie. Pretty straightforward, right? And and the thing is also, there have been people who have mistakenly believed lies even to the point where they would die for them, right? This has happened. We can show numerous times in history. But tell me, when has there been someone who was lying, they knew they were lying, And they died for that lie knowing that it was a lie. That doesn't make a bit of sense. I mean, if I'm Jesus and I pulled all this off, right, and we get to a certain day, let's say, oh, Good Friday, right, and they arrest me, right, and they start beating me to the point where I'm, the Bible says, not even recognizable as a man. And they start whipping me with this whip, and my back is ripped, and, and, and it's violent, and it's ugly. At some point there, I'm going to say, oh, you know what, guys, not actually son of God. This was all, I'm a carpenter, okay? This has gotten way out of control. Can I just go home now? And certainly by the time they get these giant spikes, right, that they're going to drive through his wrist, certainly you say, I'm not God. I was lying the whole time. But Jesus didn't do that. No. He went willingly to the cross for you and for me because he knows that he is God. Because he knows that he is the only one who can pay the price for my sin and for your sin. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knows it, and that's exactly why he dies. So you could believe that he's a liar. Second, you could believe that he's a lunatic, that Jesus is a lunatic. There's been plenty of crazy people, and some of them have believed that they're actually God. 
So we could say that Jesus, he, he really believed this, and thus he'd be willing to die because he was genuinely crazy. Now, it's a pretty incredible thing that a crazy guy was able to pull off all the miracles that he did, was able to convince these disciples, uh, was able to somehow rise from the dead uh, with all these kinds of things. I mean, that's a pretty high standard, but we could state, yeah, he's, he's crazy. He's very misguided. He doesn't know his own identity. He's a, a David Koresh. He's a, a Jim Jones. He's one of these kind of people. But again, I think the lunatic argument is pretty difficult when you consider the fact that Jesus, he's, he's the best known his figure in all of history. He's someone that changed history in such an amazing way. What other lunatic has done this? We may know just a handful of their stories, probably not even that. How do you do all this if that's, if you're just crazy? And then Of course, that leaves us with option three, the option Peter proclaimed, which is that Jesus is Lord. He can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be a nice guy. He took his disciples on this trip for the sole purpose of helping them to see that he is Lord. He's not just a good advisor. He's not just your best friend. He's, he's not, uh, he is Lord. And today Jesus looks at you and me. It's like he's sitting right there with you and he puts his hand on your shoulder. And he says, Mike, who do you say I am? Susan, who do you say that I am? Bob, who do you say that I am? I'm not asking who your grandma said that I am. I'm not asking who your mom or dad, I know that they may have had faith. I'm not asking who your friends, your spouse, no. Because the Bible says that it's appointed to people once to die and then the judgment, that we stand before God, okay? And we answer for this question, who do you say that I am? And the answer is not, my wife was a really good Christian, doesn't cut it. That's great for her. But what about you? The answer is not my grandma was the most faithful person in the history of the church. Great. Awesome. Doesn't cut it. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you this crucial question because it's your faith in God that saves you. Paul said it this way in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. That's truth, friends. There's a whole lot of questions in this world that you're going to be asked, but there is no more important question than this one. Who do you say that Jesus is. I want to invite the band to come forward and could we all just close our eyes and just have just a time, us and Jesus, right here. I know there are many things in life to think about and many priorities in all of this, but friend, there's just nothing more pressing than this right now. You may be here and you may have, this may be news to you, And 
great news. You can say yes to Jesus today. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and you could do that right along with me and give your heart to Jesus. You, you may be here, and you've, um, you've heard all this before, and you've kind of been doing some, some planning, some um, evaluating. And you've, been deci- you've decided that someday you are going to get serious about this Jesus stuff, but not today. You got too much going on. If you're honest, you really want to be the one sitting on the throne of your life. And you're not ready, you've said, to give that to him. To you, friend, I'd say two things. First, it's a dangerous game to play because none of us are guaranteed, well, this afternoon, much less tomorrow. But second, you're missing out. You're missing out on the best life that God has for you. Do you think your plans are actually better than the creator's? Friends, you've miscalculated. And I want to invite you into a relationship with God that will change your life. You won't be the same, I promise you that. When you ask Jesus to forgive your sins to come into your life, you won't be the same. No, he'll change you. He'll challenge you. But he'll make you more and more like him, bit by bit. He'll use the word of God. He'll use prayer. He'll use Christian friends. He'll sometimes just speak to you in quiet moments. He'll do these things because you're like his adopted son or daughter, and he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he wants you to follow him, that he wants what's best for you. He wants you to stop compromising, giving your life to all this stupid stuff, and instead to focus on what really matters wants to do that. And for others of you, you're here today and you say, you know, I've made that decision, but if I'm honest, it's more of an intellectual thing than a lifestyle thing. I I don't really look much different than anybody else out there as a fact. I, I don't know that Jesus has really changed my life. And I feel like I need more of him. I feel like I need to commit my life once again. So wherever you are in that spectrum, I, I just, I just want to pray right now. And if, if you say, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm none of those. I, I, I have given my life to Jesus and I'm striving to live for him. Then would you just pray with me right now for those in our midst and those are online who God's going to work in special ways here. If, if you've not given your life to Jesus, I just, I just want, um, I want to invite you to pray with me here. And, and then we're going to open up the altar after a bit too and I want to invite you to come forward and to pray too and have one of us pray with you we would love to do that so you can pray with me now and your heart say this Jesus I need you I confess that I don't have it all together that I've been trying to live my own way and I want to stop doing that I want to ask you first to save me because I've sinned and I accept what you say that I can't pay the price for my sins. So I ask that you would come into my heart, be my savior and forgive me. Everything I've ever done, Lord, that is against your will, would you take that, cast it as far as the east is from the west. I wanna be free. I wanna be free of all that stuff. I wanna be raised to new life in you, Jesus. 
I don't want to be broken by that anymore. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a child of God. And Jesus, I ask that you would be my Lord. Would you be the leader of my life each and every day? I mess a lot of stuff up, but I'm just going to do my best to follow you by your strength. And when I fall again, I'm going to confess it to you and ask for your help. And I'm going to trust that you're there because you're my Lord, not me. Not me. Come into my life. Friend, if you prayed that, welcome to the family. Jesus loves you. And he's adopted you into his family. And if you're here and you say, I prayed that, but boy, I just, there's been some stuff and I just need to give it to Jesus. Jesus, here we are. Here's our lives. We just confess our sins before you in our hearts. All that stuff that's not honoring to you, Lord, would you forgive us? Thank you that in the name of Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. And Lord, would you call us back home? Would you bring us back to yourself? We need you. Help us to live for you each and every day. God, we love you so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name.